You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker. Thank you for joining me again. Um, man, I tell you guys, you never cease to amaze me with the, uh, with the listens. I see the numbers go up and up and up, and it's amazing, really. I am, uh, I am humbled to be someone that you actually care to tune in. So a, a humble thank you to uh, all the listeners. Well, I've got a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and jump on in. I've got, the, uh, I've got a little bit of a platter of things that um, has come up in the last week. Um, kind of stories that jump around all over the place, but um, it's not really going to be a topical podcast. This is more of just going to be covering because man, there's been a lot, um, going on, especially since I, I took one week to kind of focus on Antifa. Um, you know, so I'm going to be covering some of these stories you're going to see. Um, you, you may have, uh, heard a little bit about, um, the previous week, but they're still important. And I think that we should, uh, we should cover them. So let's go ahead and jump on in kind of in line with what we were talking about last week, you know, how I said that, uh, things are probably going to escalate and get worse. Well, they, they did. Um, it's just the next step in this staircase of just crazy. Um, there was a Antifa member that, uh, straight up committed a terrorist attack against a ICE detention center, uh, in Tacoma. So, uh, the Seattle times right here, the headline armed man attacks Tacoma's ice detention center. Um, he was killed, um, in a officer involved shooting because he ended up bringing, he brought a rifle, he brought incendiary devices. He lit, uh, he blew up a car. He lit a car on fire. He tried to blow up a propane tank at the center and, um, the officers did, uh, fire on him and he was killed during the action, but Self-proclaimed Antifa member, he wrote a manifesto talking about his communist roots and how he's anti-fascist and all this mess. Um, let's read a little bit into this. I, I do have a uh, another article covering this from, um, actually, Andy No wrote it, the, the guy who got brutally beat. Um, so I, I do want to get to his article, but let's just read a little bit to give you an outline of what exactly happened in Tacoma. Uh, So a protest outside of the Federal Immigration Detention Center in Tacoma last year drew headlines when when a 68-year-old man wrapped his arms around a police officer's throat and shoulders in an apparent attempt to free another protester. When police got the man into handcuffs, they found a collapsible baton and a knife in his pocket, leading to criminal charges. That was last year. Now, fast forward, early Saturday morning. That man... And I'm not going to say his name because I'm just going to refer to this guy as piece of garbage. So piece of garbage from Vashon Island returned to North 
returned to the Northwest Detention Center early Saturday morning, the holding facility for the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, this time armed with a rifle and incendiary devices, according to Tacoma police. Police said the piece of garbage lit objects uh, at vehicles and buildings, causing one car fire and unsuccessfully tried to ignite a propane tank. Officers were called by ICE employee called by an ICE employee who saw the rifle soon after they arrived. Officers reported shots fired, said Tacoma Police uh, spokeswoman Loretta Cool. Although it is unclear who fired first or if the piece of garbage fired at all. The Pierce County Medical Examiner's Office classified his death as a homicide. So, this is just, like I said, the next step in the staircase of crazy here. Things are just going to continue continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I, I do want to get to this Andy No article here. He's, he's written for the New York Post here. Um, and he covers the side of how actually the, the media has portrayed this Antifa violence uh, along with how the media kind of didn't con- condemn this attack at all. New York Post, Andy No, liberals cheer as Antifa violence escalates. <clears throat> in the early hours on Saturday, police in Tacoma rushed to the local immigration and customs facility. An armed man was firebombing the building and nearby vehicles. Police killed him in a shootout after he attempted to set off a large propane tank connected to the facility. The propane tank was connected to the facility. If that thing goes off, the whole building goes up. Kills dozens of people. Antifa social media accounts subsequently identified their fallen comrade as piece of garbage. The underreported incident makes a new chapter in the return of armed left-wing terrorism to the United States. It also triggered a flash memory in my mind. I had crossed paths with this person in December when a group of rifle carrying Antifa militiamen tried to prevent me from filming their protest outside of Seattle city hall. Little did I know that I would soon have a more immediate encounter with Antifa violence. Two weeks ago, I was left hospital hospitalized with a brain hemorrhage after a mob of mass clad rioters beat and robbed me while I was covering a demonstration in downtown Portland, Oregon. The attack claimed by Rose City Antifa was caught on video that went viral. As shocking as my unprovoked beating was, I'm hardly the first to be cruelly beaten beaten by Antifa. I have been covering Antifa since the days after the 2016 election when Portlanders woke up to find that downtown had been ravaged by black-clad vandals and arsonists overnight. Since then, the uh, the militants have repeatedly brutalized the city's population. They have learned from experience that the city's government and police lack the political will to protect its citizens. Though known for their hallmark masks and black uniforms, Antifa isn't a formal centralized group. Its, quote, members operate as a loose grouping of militant Marxists and anarchists drawn from various autonomous... Anonymous far-left groups. Political violence is a feature, not a bug, of Antifa. 
which believes itself to be an existential struggle struggle with latter-day fascism. The worst part is how prominent the media figures and the politicians glamorize and even promote Antifa as a movement for just a cause. CNN's Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon have defended Antifa on air. Chuck Todd invited Antifa, Antifa ideologue Mark Bray on Meet the Press to explain why Antifa's political violence is, quote, ethical. <clears throat> Keith Ellison gleefully posted, and recently deleted, a selfie of himself holding Bray's Antifa handbook. Representative Maxine Waters met hard-left political operative Joseph Alkoff in 2016. Alkoff is currently facing felony charges for his alleged involvement in an Antifa mob beating of two Marines in Philadelphia. The last choice of targets, Marines, was no accident. Antifa operates by a very broad definition of fascists. This is what we talked about last episode. By Antifa's telling, fascists include mainstream conservatives and even central journalists who dare to criticize them. But they save most of their hatred for U.S. law enforcement and military service members. Antifa's goal is violent political revolution, and it sees law enforcement officers and military as its main obstacles. Last weekend's Antifa firebomber expressed disdain for the state in a manifesto attributed to him on Seattle Anti-Fascist Action's Facebook page. Boy, that's a Facebook page name. Seattle Anti-Fascist Actions. Okay. He allegedly wrote, quote, I am Antifa, and referred to ICE centers as concentration camps, language directly taken from AOC. You may have heard on the news that AOC, when she was referring to the, um, the immigration detention centers on the border, she called them concentration camps. Last summer, he took part in a siege of the same Tacoma ICE facility he attacked Saturday, assaulted an officer, and was found to be carrying a baton and a knife. He pleaded guilty to obstructing police and was released under a uh, deferred sentence. As the Saturday incident shows, law enforcement should pay more attention to various armed militias that ally with the wider Antifa movement. The piece of garbage was a member of the John Brown Gun Club, a Marxist gun organization that calls itself, quote, anti-fascist, anti-racist, anti-capitalist, and anti-patriarchy. Boy. All right. The JBGC was glowingly featured in a May episode of CNN's United Shades of America. Host W. Kamau Bell, Kamau? I'm guessing that's how you say his name. Kamau Bell was even solicit, he even solicited donations from the public on the group's behalf. So CNN, giving these guys a platform and soliciting donations on their behalf, a Marxist gun organization that stands for anti-fascist, anti-racist, anti-capitalist, and anti-patriarchy. A Marxist, a openly communist organization. Wow. All right. Good on you, CNN. Elite cheering of terrorism hasn't been this chic since Leonard Bernstein's fundraised for the Black Panthers at his Park Avenue pad. So that's where we are today. 
that is where we are today. Boy, I'm telling you, this thing is just going to keep stair-stepping until someone... You're going to have these two sides, and they're going to be armed, and it's it's not going to be good. And, and I think, you know, all, all signs point to Portland being that area where it's going to go down, but... I don't know. That, that, that mayor is... What a piece of garbage that guy is. Just get your police the... the 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 funds they need the, stop handcuffing them and let allow them to do their jobs and to get this under control or else something ugly like this is going to take place and and people are going to die all right let's move on to our uh next subject here so you're going to see this story i have a feeling you're going to see this story if you haven't already uh, all over the place so CNN's headline of this story is Rand Paul stops unanimous passage of 9-11 first responders funding bill. So I don't know if you guys saw the video of um, John Stewart giving a very um, emotional and passionate speech. Um, declaring his support for the 9-11 um, first responders bill uh, that would give them funding for their medical care. Which, I mean, everyone everyone agrees that those people should be taken care of. Nobody disagrees that those people should be taken care of. So, let's read a little bit of this, a little bit of this uh, CNN spin on this, and then we'll go to reason. And it kind of outlines the, the real reasons of why Rand Paul is taking the stance that he is. Because if you actually know Rand Paul, you would actually you're already able to dissect why exactly he made this stand. It's not that he's standing against it. See the headline right here. Rand Paul stops unanimous passage of nine 11. Sorry. I've got like a fly in here. That's why I keep waving my hand here. Rand Paul stops unanimous passage of nine 11 first responders funding bill. This sound, this makes it sound like he's like he's against these people getting funding, which he's not. We'll, we'll explain what exactly it is here in just a second. Republican Senator Rand Paul objected Wednesday to an attempt <clears throat> to pass the bill funding 9-11 first responders health care unanimously, arguing that passing such a long-term bill would offset the cost <clears throat> with offsetting costs would contribute to the national debt. So let's listen to the exchange here. I ask unanimous consent... That is that it, as if in legislative session, the Senate proceed to calendar number 153, H.R. 1327, that the bill be considered read a third time and passed and the motion be re to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table with no intervening action or debate. Action. Mr. President. Senator from Kentucky. Reserving the right to object. It has long been my feeling that uh, we need to address our massive debt in this country. We have a $22 trillion debt. We're adding debt at about a trillion dollars a year. And therefore, any new spending that we are approaching, any new program that's going to have the longevity of 70, 80 years should be offset by cutting spending that's less valuable. We need to, at the very least, have this debate. I will be offering up an amendment if this bill should come to the floor. But until then, I will object. Objections heard. Mr. President. Senator from New York. I am deeply disappointed that my colleague has just objected 
to the desperately needed and urgent bill for our 9-11 first responders, a bipartisan bill that just earned over 400 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives and has 73 co-sponsors in this chamber. Enough of the political games. Our 9-11 first responders and the entire nation are watching to see if this body actually cares. Do we care about the men and women who answered the call of duty? Okay, so that was... Um, before this video plays, let me just reload this here. Um, so there was the exchange there. So the reasoning for Rand Paul's objection to the bill is essentially what this would do is this was a bill that's going to go on uh, until like for the next 80 to 90 years. Okay. This is an 80 to 90 year span with virtually unlimited money being assigned to it for those 80 to 90 years. Okay. So, uh, let's, let's skip ahead here because we already watched the video. We need to at least, we, we need to, at the very least, have this debate. I will be offering up an amendment if this bill should come to the floor, but until then, I would object, added Paul, who voted in favor, and this is their little jab here, um, added Rand Paul, who voted in favor of the president's uh, $1.5 trillion tax cut, the tax cut that help, that is helping drive a deficit increase. So they're saying, why are you denying health care to these first uh, 9-11 first responders because of a deficit problem, but you vote for the tax cuts, which increase the deficit problem, right? Because when the government spends money and then you cut their source, their income, but they're still spending the same, that contributes to the, def- to the deficit. Well, Rand Paul has been very consistent in trying to, he's one of the only ones that's been trying to cut spending. I mean, you look at the guy's voting history. This is a guy who is extremely against uh, government overreach and, and spending. So they're kind of jabbing him at like, well, he voted for the tax cuts, which, which is contributing to the deficit. Well, yeah, he voted for the tax cuts because, I, I mean, that's, that's in line with his principles and mine as well. I think you should keep more of your own money. I think this country takes way too much from its own people. So yeah, he voted for the tax cuts, which helped boost the economy. He helped get rid of regulations. He's been very consistent at trying to limit and and control government spending. But I mean, he's only one man. I mean, between him, Rand Paul, Amash, Mike Lee, uh, Massey, Thomas Massey. Uh, they can only do so much, but to kind of jab at him and be like, oh yeah, you're just picking and choosing, which, which is what, um, let, let's see if I can find this quote here. Uh, Okay. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer also slammed Paul's objection, saying on the floor that he would ask Paul to consider the American tradition that when people, quote, volunteered for the armed services and risked their lives for our freedom, we came back and gave them health care. I would urge my friend from Kentucky to withdraw his objection, Schumer added. I would urge Senator McConnell, the leader, to put 
it on the floor now and we can get, let these folks in the gallery and so many others do what they need to do, help their families, help their friends and make sure their health is given the best protection possible. Paul addressed his objection later Wednesday on Twitter, arguing that he was, quote, not blocking the 9-11 bill. He was just simply asking for a vote on an amendment to offset the cost. So, speaking to Fox News later Wednesday, Jon Stewart, the comedian, slammed Paul's objection with, quote, absolutely outrageous, as absolutely outrageous, accusing the senator of fiscal responsibility virtue signaling and blasting Paul's support for the deficit-raising tax cut. So let's go ahead and go into reason. They kind of outline Paul's voting record on how he's been consistently against government spending, and he's not against this bill. He's against the bill that that appropriates virtually unlimited money unchecked. And the thing about, and this is the thing about libertarians, right? Libertarian-leaning, you know, congressmen like Rand Paul, they think about this in a way, they frame it this way. Whenever there's new, a new law in place or a new bill, no matter how noble or virtuous the cause may be for that, it may have the best intentions possible. Like everyone would agree that the 9-11 responders deserve to be taken care of. The, the, the attack on 9-11 that, that caused this whole thing that the reasoning for that attack is because of the government's intervention in the Middle East. That that's what the, the the Osama bin Laden said. That was one of the major contributing factors for the attack on 9/11. So is it the government's job to take care of these people since they put them in that position? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Rand Paul is just here. You can't just. He's trying to inject some responsibility inside of this out of control snowball. You can't spend money that you don't have. All he's doing is like we, we spend $4 trillion a year in this stupid government. There's got to be some money we can cut that we're spending on stupid crap that we can take care of these people with instead of add more and more billions on top of it. All he's asking is to cut the stupid crap, trim the fat. There's a lot of fat to be trimmed. To help take care of these people. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Senator Mike Lee of Utah also oppressed passing the bill by unanimous consent. The bill, H.R. 1327, would extend the life of the Victims' Compensation Fund to 2090. 2090. 2090. It would also do away with the, any limited appropriations for the fund. Instead of paying out however much is necessary to cover the eligible claims through 2092, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that the bill would cost $10.2 billion over the next decade. The first 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund operated from 2001 to 2003 and awarded $7 billion to the families of the 2880 people, 2, 2880 people killed in the attacks on that day, 
plus another 2,680 who were injured. In 2011, the fund was renewed and expanded to cover anyone injured during the rescue and recovery efforts at the targeted World Trade Center, as well as those in proximity to the attacks who were injured or came down with other health problems, including cancer. Since 2011, the fund has since given out $5.2 billion to nearly 29,000 claimants. Despite Paul's objections, the permanent extension of the Victims Fund will almost certainly pass. The Senate's reauthorization measure currently has 73 co-sponsors, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that he will put it to a vote before August, the August recess. On Fox News, the former Daily Show host and 9-11 first responder champion John Stewart accused Paul of fiscal responsibility virtue signaling. Um saying that the Kentucky Senator's current concerns about the deficit were hypocritical in light of his support for the 2017 tax cuts. Yeah. John Stewart was not alone in this criticism. We got Ariana Huffington and Robert Reich going at him on Twitter. I'm not going to read these. These condemnations skate over Paul's rather reasonable position that the Senate should actually debate the bill and consider fiscal offsets before approving nearly a century's worth of effectively unlimited spending. Representative Justin Amash made this same exact point last week when he was explaining why he voted against the victim funds um, bill extension in the House. So this is what Justin Amash said about it. One of the main reasons government is not accountable is that politicians and media oversimplify discussions about legislation. A good example is the 9-11 Victims Fund Bill. Everyone agrees government should help compensate victims of the attack, but implementing details are ignored. Our Constitution, powers, our Constitution empowers Congress to appropriate money. Typically, this means we must vote annually to spend on a particular object. This process holds government accountable to the people. The 9-11 Victims Fund Bill works differently by authorizing 70-plus years of unlimited automatic spending. And while it's true that Paul voted for the deficit-increasing tax cut, he has also consistently introduced legislation to cut spending across the board. Just last month, the Senate rejected a budget plan authored by Rand Paul, that would have cut federal spending by $183 billion in the coming fiscal year. Libertarian-leaning folks like Paul want less spending. They want lower taxes and smaller deficits. The senator has a record of supporting all three policies, even though the rest of the Congress seems to only muster support for one. So I figured I'd uh, cover that story because if you haven't seen it already, uh, you're likely going to. Uh, I mean, if you opened Twitter within the last, if you opened it within the last two days, you probably already saw that. All right. Moving on. So another thing passed in the House, um, this is from NBC News, the House passed a $15 minimum wage bill. The bill would gradually increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025. The federal minimum wage has not been raised since 2009. 
So let's get into this here. The House on Thursday passed a bill to increase the federal wage to fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty five, delivering on one of the Demo- on one of Democrats' central policy objectives and a primary for many in twenty twenty presidential candidates. This is about workers. It's about their economic and financial security. And today is a bright day because it affects so many people in our country. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Thursday at a press conference flanked by fast food workers, activists, and lawmakers ahead of the scheduled vote. The bill, called the Raise the Wage Act, was introduced by Representative Bobby Scott of Virginia and passed with a 231 to 199 vote. It calls for a gradual increase of the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour from 725 to be phased in over several years. The federal minimum wage has not been raised since 2009. A similar bill to increase the federal minimum wage failed to pass in March after lawmakers from rural and Republican-leaning districts raised concerns, claiming that it would be simply too much of a burden for some small businesses, especially in places where the cost of living is lower than large urban areas. That's absolutely right. Some Democrats, such as Representative Tom Olaharan of Arizona, introduced an amendment to the legislation that would require the Government Accountability Office to monitor the economic and employment impacts of the gradual increase and then submit a report to Congress after the second increase, but before the third. How is this, how is this going to go wrong? I'll tell you how it's going to go wrong. Okay, this is going to get implemented. It's federal law to do this. Small businesses, businesses are either going to start firing employees because they can't afford to have them all. So, yeah, the few employees left there are going to be making more money, but more people are going to be out of a job. Unemployment rate is going to skyrocket. Because these low-skill workers, this is how they get a job. This is how they make money. And when you when you put your foot, your boot, on the neck of these small businesses and force them to pay this, it, it, how are they going to do it? Okay, they they have to trim something off. They have to trim costs off. And businesses are either going to lay off people or they're going to go to automation. This week, House Minority uh, Whip Steve Scalise of Louisiana said raising the minimum wage would, quote, eviscerate millions of American jobs, citing a July report from the Congressional Budget Office that said 3.7 million Americans would lose their jobs if the measure is adopted. There's more opportunity than we've ever seen. There are more job opportunities than there are people looking for work. And at that time, you would think the Democrats would want to be working with us to build on that economic success. And instead, you see Speaker Pelosi bringing this bill to the floor that would eviscerate millions of American jobs. So, that's what's going to happen. I mean, this is going to get implemented. I don't know if it'll get implemented. Well, I mean, hmm. I don't know, guys. I mean, I, I already, if you're listening to this show, you probably already know what's that this is going to happen, right? 
this is going to get this is going to get passed with all likelihood and you know the effects of this you're going to see lots of people lose their jobs you're going to see lots of businesses go to automation you're going to see lots of people looking for work that can't get hired because they're too expensive to get hired because they have low skill and these low skill positions are too costly to fill for these uh businesses especially like this is one thing it was like the the cost of living is so much different in different places man like a a a salary in LA a $100,000 salary in LA barely gets you by like you can barely have a one bedroom apartment with a six figure income in LA might as well be homeless but a six figure income in rural America you're living like a king so this is the thing is this like it's it's different in different places and this just widespread this is what's going to happen everywhere this is the law everywhere this is what you have to pay people everywhere it just doesn't work it hasn't worked with other things it's not going to work here right, let's see what uh see how I'm doing on time okay we're doing good let's move on talking about uh, spending and deficits and all that good stuff so this is the hill right here the White House is projected to hit a one trillion dollar deficit for 2019 hands together for uh Donald Trump, everybody, taking care of that federal debt. Good on him. Taking care of that federal debt. Pretty sure I remember in 2016, he said uh, that we're going to tackle this uh, debt. He was going to take care of it. He's going to cut this spending. Never mind. Spending is blown out of control under his office. The White House projects that the federal debt, uh, federal deficit will surpass $1 trillion this year. The only time in the nation's history the deficit has exceeded that level, excluding the four-year period following the Great Recession. The 2019 deficit has been revised to a projected $1 trillion, the White House Office of Management and Budget wrote in its mid-year review. As, candid- as a candidate, President Trump promised to wipe out not only the deficit, but the entire federal debt. Which had surpassed, which has surpassed twenty two trillion. So we're over twenty two trillion. We're on our way to twenty three. We'll be there in no time. By the end of the year, we'll be there. Ay ay ay. Spending's out. This bubble's got to pop at some point, guys. I'm telling you, this bubble's gonna pop at some point. Um diversify your portfolios, you know, get some hard assets. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give you financial advice, but crypto and physical metals are looking pretty good right now. That's all I'll say. I'm in both because I can see this coming. And they say when this thing pops, it's going to make 2008 look like nothing. Look like nothing. 2008, that was a hiccup to what's coming next. Yikes, guys. This isn't going to be good. Nobody's talking. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody's talking about it. The Republicans don't care about the spending. The Democrats definitely don't care about the spending. They want to just, you know, the, the only thing about the Democrats is they just might just 
they're going to put their floor, the pedal to the metal. They're just going to full speed ahead, crash this thing. Democrat or uh, Republicans are probably slowly drive this thing off the cliff, but Democrats will get us there faster. Free unlimited health care, free education, free housing, free, free, free. Uh, you can't tax enough money to have all of that stuff. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. Uh, this was uh, this was something I thought was pretty good. If you haven't listened to the uh, the episode where we covered the Green New Deal when it was first released, um, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Uh, as we kind of broke we broke down the uh, the Green New Deal, what all was released in that. Um, but this Breitbart arc article, I came across this one. Um, the chief of staff that actually was involved in writing the Green New Deal for AOC's office. Um, came out in an interview. He was he was seen saying that um, the Green New Deal wasn't actually about climate change. It was about like an economic. It was totally like a rip and replace economic system. They wanted to completely demolish the current economic system of the United States and replace it with a socialist driven and a socialist inspired economic system. So everyone already knew this. Like we talk about it in the la- in that uh, past episode, my me and my buddy Justin, we we went through the bill and we were like, "Look, this isn't about like climate change at all. Like, there's a little stuff in here about climate change, but this is like, this is a total decimation of the country's economic system, a total rip and replace." Um. So. Saikat Chakrabarty, that's a name right there. Saikat Chakrabarty, the chief of staff and former campaign mastermind for Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, reportedly admitted that the Green New Deal was originally not about climate change, but changing the economy. That claim stems from Sam Ricketts, who directs climate change policy for Washington Governor Jay Inslee, one of the two dozen candidates for the Democratic Party's uh, presidential nomination. Ricketts met with Chakrabarty this spring to make uh, acquaintances after Ocasio-Cortez called Inslee's climate change plan the, blank, the, quote, gold standard in policy. The Washington Post reported Wednesday. Chakrabarty had an unexpected disclosure. The interesting thing about the Green New Deal, he said, is it wasn't originally a climate thing at all. Ricketts greeted this with startling notion with an attentive poker face. He said, do you guys think, do you guys think it, of it as a climate thing? Chakrabarty continued, because we really think of it as a, how do you change the entire economy thing? That report confirms early analysis of the Green New Deal by Breitbart News in February after Quote, Democratic Socialist Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced the plan. Chakrabarty is currently under fire from members of Congress of the Congressional Black Caucus for accusing moderate Democrats of behaving like segregationists. So this is another thing where now you've got the Democratic Party going, eating itself alive. And this has just been a uh, a really fun thing to watch the Democratic Party eating its its uh, own alive. You've got 
um, the squad. Now they're calling them, which is uh, AOC, um, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Amar, and I'm forgetting one. There's there's like four of them. Ilhan Amar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC. I don't know. There's one more, I think. They're calling on the squad, and they're going against Nancy Pelosi. AOC called Nancy Pelosi racist because she was kind of, um, you know, she kind of had some backhanded comments about them. It's just been a really fun thing to watch recently. All right. So on to our last couple of stories here. Oh, so this is um, this is something that I, I wanted to to talk about for a while here. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sure you guys have heard of this already, but um, man, this is something that's that you're going to need to pay attention to moving forward. And I'll be sure to pay attention to this as well. Since you're listening to the show, I'm, I'm going to be sure to um, to give you any updates that I that I hear about this. But man, this is a huge, huge thing. So Jeffrey Epstein, if you haven't heard, he's this um, billionaire or at the at the very least multi-millionaire um who has been um he's been charged with uh sex crimes in the past pedophilia charges um underage sex trafficking charges um all of this in the past and uh it, it has spawned very many conspiracy theories simply because of his connections. Um, and of course, you know, when you have these billionaires um, get into trouble, they have many different connections. They usually know other billionaires who have other connections and this and that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this uh, comes up. Essentially, this Jeffrey Epstein um, got off, like essentially Scott free Um during his last arrest, I believe it was in 2008, uh, was 2006, 2008, somewhere around there. Um, on his last charges, they sentenced him to like 12 months in prison, but they allowed him to like go outside of the prison facility for like half the day for like 12 hours a day. So he was able to like hang out in, in like different areas in his mansion, get all of this nice food and everything else like that. It was like nothing. He got off scot-free, nothing. Um, there's been ties with, um, I'm sure you've heard him. He has ties with very many powerful people, uh, such as the, the two biggest names, obviously Donald Trump and, uh, Bill Clinton. Um, now the thing about Bill Clinton is they've, they've pulled the, the charters for his, um, plane, the Lolita express. This is Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Uh, the Lolita express has Bill Clinton on that for like, I believe four or five total trips, like roundabout trips, 26 different individual flights though. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all of this unfolds, but this is the latest on this story here. And I'm sorry, we're kind of jumping in this like halfway here, but, um, I had other things 
come up. I probably should have touched on this when it first broke, but I didn't. Um, anyway, Jeffrey Epstein must remain in jail until his trial on sef- tra- sex trafficking charges judge rules. So they're not making the same mistake last time where he was able to just roam around freely um, with his underage girls, his sex slaves, essentially. Let's listen to this video. At a news conference in New York, one of Jeffrey Epstein's alleged victims pleaded with any other victims to come forward and Epstein's ability to hurt anyone else. As long as the victims speak up, he isn't going to get away this time. If you have already made the decision to come forward, thank you. If you have not, the time is now. Courtney Wilde is one of the women coming forward this week to say Epstein remains a danger to underage girls if he's allowed out of jail. She is working with attorney Brad Edwards, who's been suing Epstein on behalf of his alleged victims for the past decade. Edwards says Epstein has never stopped committing sex crimes, even after pleading guilty and serving 13 months in a Palm Beach jail. In fact, Edwards and his private investigator say some of the abuse may have been taking place while Epstein was allowed to leave jail during the day to work at his office. He can't stop. We have information he was doing it couple of years ago. Mike Fiston is the former homicide detective turned private eye who's been investigating Epstein for 10 years. While he was incarcerated, he was spending 12 hours a day at his office next to his attorney's office. They were bringing lavish lunches and food into his office. You watched that office for a while and you saw girls going in underage? Couldn't tell if they were underage or not. They look young. They look very young. Epstein has pled not guilty to the current charges. Tonight, as the U.S. Attorney's Office builds its criminal case in New York, attention is turning to other jurisdictions. The islands Epstein owns in the U.S. Virgin Islands, his Paris residence, and his secluded $17 million ranch south of Santa Fe, New Mexico. This is no surprise that Jeffrey Epstein was also sexually abusing girls in New York. He did it everywhere. The New Mexico Attorney General's office confirms to CNN at least two individuals have been interviewed in just the past few months, alleging they were abused at Epstein's Zorro Ranch. And even more potential New Mexico victims have come forward since last week's indictment. At Epstein's bail hearing earlier this week, Annie Farmer, who was 16 when she met Epstein, says she was flown to the New Mexico Ranch. Brad Edwards is the attorney. She was there alone. She was um, a teenager. Um, She was there uh, under the false pretense of this is a place where uh, I'm going to fly you to my ranch so that uh, we can meet with you. That was her reason for being there, believing that this was some interview process with a bunch of other victims. Really, she was there alone and uh, engaged in this same type of exploitation so drew griffin cnn atlanta at a news conference in new york one of jeffrey epstein's there we go so um this is a story we're going to read a little bit more about this here because um they've searched his house and everything they found all kinds of stuff and this is what spawned all these conspiracy theories um about all his different connections. He, they don't know how he, how he's acquired his money. Um, a, a lot of people are saying that, um, 
he's made all this money on bribes or not bribes, but blackmail against powerful political figures and inviting him to his, uh, his ranch, his Island, um, either, either tempting them with these underage, um, minors, um, getting them to have sex with them. But, uh, and, and then keeping dirt on them. They, they, they raided his house on the, uh, on the Island and they found cameras everywhere. There were cameras everywhere. And so people are like, man, they look at the logs at how many powerful people have visited this guy's, this guy's Island and his ranch and all these different places, all these huge, powerful people. And he's got cameras all in the house. And, and either, you know, people are saying, you know, he's bringing all these powerful people tricking either tricking them telling them that they're that they're uh they're of age and then um after they have sex he's you know could be like hey uh turns out now nah, she's 16 and i got you on video doing this so now you're mine type stuff i don't know if any of that is going on but hopefully they get to un- this is just going to be a a mess. I, I think a lot of, if everything goes well and I don't have much faith in this justice system that we have, but man, are my fingers pr- crossed that they get this guy and everyone tied to this guy goes down. Cause this guy is just one of the worst human beings. One of the worst human beings. Um, let's see here. There was a section of this that I wanted to, to read. Oh no. Okay, here we go. The judge wrote that several factors made Epstein a classic flight risk. They banned him on flights. Obviously, they're keeping him in jail. Um, His significant wealth and resources, including his own ownership of a private jet, has limited family ties in the United States. And the potential 45-year prison sentence he faces, if convicted, would provide provide incentive, um, motive, and wherewithal to flee, the judge wrote. Among the evidence presented by the government that appears to sway the judge where items prosecutors have said were recovered from a locked safe in Epstein's home, they found more than $70,000 in cash, 48 loose diamonds, and a foreign passport. So this this foreign passport that they found has a, a photo of him with a fake name, and it's a Saudi passport. Very, very weird stuff. In addition, the judge noted Epstein's vast wealth and influential contacts have provided him with the means to pay individuals to assist him in unlawful endeavors, including potentially fleeing the jurisdiction. Epstein is charged with one count of sex trafficking of minors and one count of conspiracy to engage in sex trafficking of minors related to the alleged conduct that occurred between 2002 and 2005. He has pleaded not guilty. 
He is accused of having paid girls as young as 14 to have sex with him at his Upper East Side home and his estate in Palm Beach, Florida between 2002 and 2005. Prosecutors say he used employees and associates to lure the girls to his residence and then paid some of his victims to recruit other girls for him to abuse. This, oh God. So this is something that, um, that I'm going to be looking at closely as it starts to unfold because I feel like, and from different articles that I've seen on this, people say some big names might go down in this. Some big names might go down in this fingers crossed that they do. Like I said, I don't have that much faith in the justice system. Um, like, uh, so the guy, there was a, uh, Oh, what's it? Acosta. So Acosta, let me see what this guy's name is actually. It's one of Trump's, um, yeah, the labor secretary, uh, president Trump's embattled labor secretary, Alexander Acosta. So Alexander Acosta is the one who, um, who was the prosecutor against Epstein during his first trial. Okay. And he has resigned because in that trial in two thousand in the early two thousands, he let Jeffrey off with a sweetheart deal. He let him off with this cushy deal. He had like some of the records sealed, some of the evidence sealed. He like, it was a very, very, you go back and look at it and you're like, what is going on? What's even weirder is if you go back and see how aggressive Acosta was going after Jeffrey Epstein and then essentially just stops right in his tracks and gives him the sweetheart deal. Acosta has said that he was going at Jeffrey Epstein hard. He was going at him very aggressively and then he just gets a tap on the shoulder and is, is told, this is what he says. He's told Jeffrey Epstein is tied to intelligence. He doesn't know where in intelligence, but he said he's tied to intelligence and he's above your pay grade. This is why I don't, I don't have too much faith in the judicial system here. I don't know how much is actually going to get uncovered for us to see, but this is a just tangled web of just, gross stuff that a lot of powerful, powerful people are involved with, but I don't know as if we'll see them all go down. Let's move on. So people often, I've had people be like, you know, kind of asking me a bunch of questions about why I'm against taxation and why, why I'm so aggressive towards the government and its policies. Well, maybe, um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's a long thing to explain. There's many, many different reasons why I am and why I've been kind of, um, moving this direction in my political philosophy. It's led me to libertarianism ever since I've discovered it and engaged it more. And I've, I fall in line with that. Um, it can be, uh, difficult to kind of 
put all of that into words. I, I should just send people like articles like this. <laughs> this article says Pentagon's weaponized ticks wouldn't be the worst military secret. So it's coming out that the government has probably been weaponizing ticks and that's been causing the spread, this vast spread. I don't know if you've heard that this Lyme disease has been spreading extremely quickly because of tick bites. Lyme, Lyme disease is, is spreading very rapidly. And it's now coming out that the Pentagon might have been weaponizing ticks. What? But it wouldn't be the mil- the worst military secret. And I love this article. We're going to read through it because it outlines many of the different um, horrible acts that the, the government has experimented on things and on people. And it's gone horribly wrong. This is why I'm against taxation. This is why I'm against the, the government. Because of crap like this. They do this stuff all the time. They're weaponizing ticks. What? A Republican in Congress, Representative Christopher Smith of New Jersey, successfully added an amendment to the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act that would order the Pentagon to admit whether it experimented with ticks and other insects for biological weaponry. And in turn, if those experiments contributed to the massive Lyme Lyme disease explosion seen in the United States in recent years. If true, it wouldn't be the worst secret experimentation done by the Department of Defense or by the U.S. government. Let's go on. It'd just be the latest to come to light. So the backstory of this, Smith said, he added the amendment after he read a number of books and articles suggesting that significant research had been done at U.S. government facilities, including Fort Detrick, Maryland, and Plum Island, New York, Plum Island, New York, to turn ticks and other insects into bioweapons. Oh, my God. One such book was called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons by Chris Newby. About about Lyme pathogen discoverer William or Willie Bergdefor who thought the disease was due to military experimentation. Smith wants the Inspector General of the Defense Department to look at records between 1950 and 1975, determine if the experimentation occurred, and if it did, if any of the inserts were released purposefully or inadvertently outside of the lab setting into the general U.S. population. With Lyme disease and other tick-borne diseases exploding in the United States, with an estimated 300 to 437,000 new cases diagnosed each year, and 10 to 20% of all patients suffering from chronic Lyme disease, Americans have a right to know whether any of this is true, Smith said from the House floor. Indeed. And before dismissing as tinfoil hat foolishness, let's remember America's government has a history of secret experimentation on the human subjects too. In 1946, U.S. researchers, some affiliated with the National Institute of Health, kicked off the Guatemala syphilis study to determine the effectiveness of penicillin. 
but the study was conducted absent of any compliance. Most of the unaware subjects were scooped away from insane asylums, prisons, and from the Guatemala military. In order to covertly inflict 1,500 Guatemalan people with the, without their knowledge, U.S. Surgeon John, uh, U.S. Surgeon John Charles Cutler, Cutter, Cutler, excuse me, and his team of scientists hired prostitutes already if infected with the disease. Similarly shocking was the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male in 1932. The U.S. Public Health Service conducted a study on 600 black men in Alabama, 399 of whom had syphilis. The point of the study was to track the progression of the disease, but researchers only told the test subjects that they had, quote, bad blood and failed to give them the proper medical treatment for syphilis, even after penicillin became the recognized successful treatment in 1947. The test period was supposed to span six months, but actually lasted 40 years. And during that time, the subjects were repeatedly misled about the disease, as well as their treatment options. The men were never given adequate treatment of the disease. And the Centers, the centers of Disease Control and Prevention wrote, But that's just a drop in the bucket. In 1954, the CIA ran Project QK Hilltop to, quote, study Chinese brainwashing techniques, but which led to researchers' development of, quote, secret drugs and various brain-damaging procedures. Also in the 1950s, the CIA kicked off MKUltra, a program that ultimately used a variety of test subjects from a state school for mentally impaired boys from the U.S. military, from state-run hospitals, and from other sources who, quote, some who freely volunteered, some who volunteered under coercion, and some who had absolutely no idea that they were involved. To conduct, quote, mind control and behavior modification experiments. Oh my God. Excuse me. Around this time, the CIA also sponsored Project Artichoke and Operation Midnight Climax, two other programs aimed at seeing how mind-altering drugs could be used to control the mostly unwitting test subjects. That doesn't even touch on the many, many more unethical experiments conducted on American inmates, children, and military members by medical professionals, university scholars, and psychology professors all in the name of science, of course. All for the greater good of future generations. So, weaponized ticks released by the Pentagon researchers into the wild. Ticks that then bite and infect Americans with Lyme disease. Not only is it possible, given the secretive past of the U.S. government experimentation, it's actually quite probable. And what's more, it wouldn't be anywhere near the blackest mark on the Fed's history. So I thought that was a uh, a scary but fun read. My weaponized ticks. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if that's what caused this Lyme disease outbreak? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Not surprised at all. All right, we're coming up on. Let me see what my time is at here. We're coming up on our time. Yep. 
I'm going to do um, two more quick stories here. Here we go. One of our last ones here. This, boy, this right here ticked me off. Uh, this is an article here covering, this is from the Washington Post. The headline, a Florida clop, a Florida clop, a Florida cop planted meth on random drivers, police say. One lost custody of his daughter. So, it starts like this. The meth seemed to appear out of thin air. Benjamin Bowling couldn't figure it out. He had been clean ever since his release from prison on a DUI conviction. But now in Jackson County, Florida, but now a Jackson County, Florida sheriff deputy was accusing him of possessing a minuscule amount of methamphetamine. <clears throat> it was only tw October 2017 and Bowling was on his way to the store to pick up diapers with his friend Shelly Smith when they saw the flashing light swirl in the rearview mirror. He had been out of prison for less than a year doing everything he could to get his life back on track. Back on track. He passed all of his drug tests. He had recently been awarded custody of his daughter. But Deputy Zachary Wester was escalating a traffic stop for swerving over a white line into a search for illicit drugs. So this guy, this piece of garbage, Zachary Wester, was pulling over people for just basic violations which is this is is this pisses me off because let's just get into it here bowling and smith confident they had nothing to hide told wester to go ahead and search the car after he claimed to smell marijuana assuring him that he wouldn't find any only he emerged with meth. Now, nearly two years after Bowling lost custody of the daughter he had just gotten back, after he was convicted of felony meth possession, he knows exactly how it got there. Wester, state investigators now say, planted it himself. And Bowling was far from the only victim. Listen to this. Wester, who was fired last September, was arrested Wednesday and charged with 52 accounts of racketeering, false imprisonment, official misconduct, fabricating evidence, and possession of a controlled substance, among other charges. He's accused of indiscriminately targeting innocent drivers and hauling them off to jail after planting meth or marijuana in their vehicles while feigning a search. Get this. Bowling, who has since been cleared, is just one of 11 known victims named in the affidavit. Although the Florida Department of Law Enforcement said Wednesday that there may be more victims who have not been yet been identified. And the case name, the case remains under investigation. At least 119 cases involving Wester have been dropped. The Tallahassee Democrat reported in addition to the drop charges, the circuit judge Christopher Patterson ordered at least eight men inmates released from correctional facilities last fall as 263 cases remained under review. This guy's been doing it for years. Holy cow. 
And in Florida, this is why I voted against this. In Florida, if you have a felony, you lose your right to vote. So this piece of garbage is sending people to jail, ruining their lives. These people, when they get out of jail, they have a felony record. They have a hard time getting a job. They can't even vote. Deputy Zachary Wester. Rot in a cell, my friend. Rot in a cell. All right. I want to leave you on a happy note before I end. Happy note right here. Trump says Navy ship shot down Iranian drone. I want to apprise everyone of an incident in the Strait of Hormuz today involving USS Boxer and Navy amphibious assault ship. (sighs) The Boxer took defensive action against an Iranian drone, which had closed into a very, very near distance, approximately 1,000 yards ignoring multiple calls to stand down and was threatening the safety of the ship and the ship's crew. The drone was immediately destroyed. This is the latest of many provocative and hostile actions by Iran against vessels operating in international waters. (laughs) So they shot down one of our drones. We shot down one of theirs. We're even now, right? We can quit all this. We can stop. Please, please just stop. Let's not go down this road. Please, let's not go down this road. (laughs) I love how Trump was just like, and the drone was immediately destroyed. Trust me. I know it was destroyed. I know destroyed things. I only destroyed the best things the best way. It was immediately destroyed. Yikes, man. Um, so, yeah. Of course. Of course. I thought I had a news week, week and a half, without Iran-U.S. conflict. <laughs> but nope. This one, this one snuck in today. At the very last minute. Anyway, I know this was kind of a, uh, a hodgepodge episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I, I tell you what, if you haven't yet, feel free to uh, come to our Facebook page. Um, and uh, if you have any suggestion for stories, feel free to post the uh, articles and stories that you would uh, that you want to discuss on the page. Or if, if you even want me to cover those, I'll be more than happy to cover them if you think they're interesting. Um, if you uh, haven't yet, be sure to subscribe uh, on Apple Podcast and Spotify. We're on, located on Stitcher as well. But we'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips. See you, everybody.